Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. I want to ask you, have, have you ever been asked to do something that you didn't feel qualified to do? Have you ever wanted to say no to something that you think God might be calling you to do? I certainly have, and I'm guessing that many of you have as well. And the text that I'm going to share with you today is one that uh, is one of those, I guess, that the Lord used to uh, call me into pastoral ministry. Uh, it's found in the Old Testament book of Judges, and it's the life story of a man named Gideon. I invite you to look with me there at Judges chapter 6. And, and, and you know, in some respects, the days of Gideon uh, that, that he lived in really weren't a whole lot different than the culture that we live in today, in that, like it tells us in Judges chapter 17, um, it was a time when every man did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, there weren't absolutes that they followed. And, and, and uh, as we look in Scripture here in, in uh, Judges chapter 6, and we see what God says about that, uh, beginning with verse 1, and so I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as we read. Then the sons of Israel did what was right, or did, excuse me, then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against Israel because of Midian the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Malachites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, oxen, or donkeys. And they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come up in like, like locusts for number. Both they and their camels were innumerable and they came into the land to devastate it. And so Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It is I who has brought you from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you, shall, but you have not obeyed me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the, the Abizrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord looked at him and said, Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. 
But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. And so Gideon said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it's you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. Let us pause and pray. Lord God, as we think about the life of Gideon and how you called him to serve you, Lord, we pray that you would open your word to us, that we would uh, see ourselves even in this text and, and uh, Lord, our response, and, and uh, that we would also see you, and, uh, the powerful God who calls us and equips us. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. When a nation is in a moral decline, it is not unusual for God to deal with it by causing oppression, sometimes from leaders within and sometimes from other nations. And in these first verses, we are told that that is what was taking place in Israel. And the oppression from the Midianites left the people of Israel fearful. In the last couple of years, uh, we've certainly had We've seen that effect on people in our country as well, people fearful. And uh, when they become fearful, then they become extremely cautious. And sometimes they do irrational things as well. We were on vacation this last week up in, uh, along the North Shore, and, and we saw folks hiking out along Lake Superior and wearing a mask. And at the motel, there was a couple that were serving breakfast to their four-year-old daughter, and she was putting her mask up between bites. There are people that are hoarding things out of fear of possible shortage of food and other things, and we need to prepare and so on, and yet we can be fearful and do extreme things. And what seems a sensible caution for some might seem extreme and even irrational for others. But my point is this, that, that fear has its effect on people, and it certainly did there for the people of Israel. The oppression by the Midianites was so severe that the Israelites were short of food because the Midianites would destroy their crops just when they were ready for harvest. And some of the Israelites, as a result, were hiding out in caves in the mountains. And this man named Gideon had saved some grain. Um, it had just been harvested, and he was beating it out um, in secret um, using a wine press. And this oppression from the Lord, though, did have its intended effect. And verse 7 tells us that the result was that the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. That is, they began to pray. I wonder how much worse it might need to get in our land before people really cry out to the Lord for help. Well, we should be encouraged today that when people do that, when people pray, God hears their prayer. And God hears the cries of the hurting and the oppressed, and he desires to help them. And this has always been true. It's a theme that we see throughout Scripture. I love this verse, for instance, in Psalm 50, verse 15, where it says, Call upon me in a day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will honor me. Well, God can rescue people who pray any way that he wants to. But, you know, it's interesting that he often has chosen to use people. To lead and to accomplish his purposes and to offer hope to the masses. And that's why he called this unsuspecting man named Gideon to offer hope to the people of Israel. Gideon was not expecting to ever be called to lead God's people. He was, he was actually struggling to even believe that God cared anymore. 
And when this angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior, it didn't fit Gideon's perspective on himself or on God's care. And verse 13 here tells us, Then Gideon said to him, O oh, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has this happened to us? And where are all of these miracles which the fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? And now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of the Midian. As we think of the world that we live in, I want you to recognize something very important. God's purposes in Gideon's day and God's purposes today still are the same. And that is to offer hope to people. And that is that people would, as a result of what he allows and brings about, that people would come to believe in and to trust in him. I appreciate what it tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, where it sums it up this way. God desires all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. And that means then that they would come to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus as the Savior that he sent and know then the forgiveness and the hope that we have then in this life and also eternal life in him. And so God uses people to accomplish those things. But there is often a real vacuum of people who are willing to lead and people who are willing to speak his word. And so what kind of people is God looking for to lead? Well, from the Gideon account, it should be very clear to us that he's not looking for people who feel really qualified to lead. Verse 15, he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in the tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. Well, I told you this was a passage that the Lord used to call me into ministry. And when, when the Lord began to prompt my heart years ago about pastoral ministry, my responses sounded a bit similar to Gideon's. Lord, I'm just a skinny farm kid from North Dakota. I'd rather be out in the field than up in front of people. Pick somebody else, like maybe my cousin, you know. He really seems to like to be up front. Well, for some reason, that didn't convince the Lord to leave me alone and pick more qualified candidates. Now, the Bible College summer team that I was on one summer was assigned to read a book by Leroy Imes. The title of the book was Be the Leader You Were Meant to Be. And the contents of that book have plagued me ever since. The author in the first chapter said something that stuck, sticks out to me especially. It's that when it comes to leading, recognize three things, he said. Recognize, first of all, that that feeling of being inadequate is normal. Secondly, that it is true. You are inadequate. <laughs> and third, that it's irrelevant. In that, as Christians, our sufficiency is not from ourselves; it's from God, who is completely adequate for whatever he calls us to do. Well, for me, that was the beginning of an inner struggle that went on for a while. As I read about then the calls of Gideon and Moses and Jeremiah, I found that they had most of the same excuses that I had. And they would say things like, well, I'm just a youth, and I don't know how to talk or, or what to say. And God would respond to them with words like, well, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I appointed you for this. And, and remember who made your mouth. I will give you the words to speak. Well, I had a few more excuses than maybe Gideon and Jeremiah did. I don't know. Um, like, you know, that 
That means four more years of college and then four years of seminary. And I don't even like school that much. And besides that, how in the world am I going to pay for that? But as you might have guessed by now, eventually the Lord took away all of my excuses. And, and I gave in and I said, okay, Lord, I, I, I still don't feel very qualified. But, but if you'll equip me to lead, uh, I guess I'm willing. And sure enough, he did equip a, a little bit at a time. He gave me opportunities in college to lead a small group Bible study and then other leadership roles within our ministry group. And, and then during seminary, I went on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and, and uh, then I got chances to be a summer youth worker in a church in Wilmer and occasionally do some preaching. And you know, nervousness about being up, up front didn't go away completely and it didn't go away quickly, but it did lessen. And I no longer get sick to my stomach every Sunday morning like I did the first three years as a pastor. But God is faithful to, to give what is needed day by day to do what he calls us to do. And there are reasons that God calls people who feel inadequate because you see the opposite is not good. And Lee Rimes pointed that out in his book here, how a, a proud spirit is really deadly to the leader. As it results in, he says, two deadly diseases of the soul. One of them is ignorance and the other is insecurity. Ignorance in that uh, a proud spirit then blinds a person to his own needs and, and makes him then unteachable. And insecurity in that a proud spirit causes this excessive concern uh, about how he appears in the eyes of others, which then really interferes with being a good leader. Well, God calls people to lead who feel insufficient so they can, they can experience his sufficiency. Verse 12 here, the angel of the Lord to, appeared to Gideon and he said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And Gideon certainly didn't feel like a valiant warrior, but by God's power he did become one. And he he told the Lord his excuses, and what did the Lord say? Did, did God say, oh, well, now you mentioned that, Gideon. I didn't realize that about you. Oh, that changes everything. I'll call somebody else. No, he said, surely I will be with you, and you will defeat Midian. You see, when God calls insufficient, inadequate people to lead, then it will be clear that it was really him that accomplished his work through them. And that certainly was the case for Gideon. And many of you know the rest of this story. It's described in the next chapters there, chapter 7 of Judges. After God finally convinced Gideon that it really was him calling and that he, 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 he even you know, accommodated Gideon's tests uh, with the fleece on the ground twice. And then when Gideon did his best to assemble an army then to go against the Midianites, it actually seemed impressive to me. 32,000 men. And what did the Lord do? Look at verse 2 of chapter 7. The, the Lord said this to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into your hands. For Israel would become boastful in saying, My own power has delivered me. Now therefore come and proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Gilead. And 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 remained. And God said, no, it's still too many. And God reduced it down to only 300 men and a great plan. 
the 300 men were, were equipped with trumpets and torches and pitchers. And in the dark, they surrounded this enemy camp. And at the signal, then they lit their torches, they smashed their pitchers, and they blew their trumpets. And it scared the daylights out of the enemy, who in the dark then turned on each other and killed each other or fled, being pursued by Gideon's army. And by the time it was all over, if you look in chapter 8, verse 10 here, it tells us that 120,000 swordsmen of the enemy had fallen. And who got the credit? The people of Israel wanted to make Gideon a king. And he responded by saying, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And it tells us in Scripture here that the Lord gave hope and he gave peace to the people of Israel for 40 years as a result, as long as that godly leader, Gideon, was alive. In order to accomplish the defeat of the Midianites, God needed a human spokesperson to be his voice and to organize that mere 300 men, and then he, God, did the rest. So just what kind of people is God looking for to lead? What he's looking for is willing hearts. Not self-sufficient, powerful leaders, but ones who are humble enough to know their limitations, their inadequacies, and their real source of strength. And this is still true today. And in every Christian family, in every local congregation, in every workplace, and even at school, though we're really not thinking about school in the middle of June, God is calling people to lead. People who feel weak who feel inadequate, maybe even scared, but willing to trust him and walk in a relationship with him day by day. Do you think maybe God is calling you to something? How are you dealing with that call, that, that prompting of the Holy Spirit in your heart, in your life? You know, there may be times when we don't know for sure if God is calling us or not, um, or if it's just something um, that we thought of on our own or somebody else's idea. As we look to the example of Gideon, we see that, that, that uncertainty was there in his heart and mind. And, and it took a bit to convince him that this really was God calling him to lead against the Midianites. And so Gideon twice tested God, once by putting a, a, a fleece of wool on the ground overnight and asking God to, uh, to put dew on the fleece, but not on the ground. And, and then he still didn't believe it. So the next night he said, well, do the reverse, God. Uh, make the fleece dry and the ground wet. And God did what Gideon had asked, and finally he believed it was God calling him to lead. You know, I don't recommend such fleecing as a practice, but if we do honestly pray about it, God does have his ways of making his calling clear. Mentioned about the annual conference this uh, last uh, week, and in the denomination that we're a part of here at Maranatha, the Association of Free Lutheran Congregations, we've been praying for a while for the Lord to make clear the man of his choosing to be the next president of the AFLC. I want to just explain a bit of the very interesting procedure that's followed in selection of an AFLC president and, and other officers. And first let me just say this, that uh, uh, the role of president in the AFLC is a full-time position the role of vice president and secretary are, are really basically unpaid volunteer positions, uh, but they're still elected. And this year then all three elections took place. And the procedure then for all three elections is what we call a, an ecclesiastical ballot. The, the FELC came up with this procedure years ago as a way of pre preventing politicking and campaigning. 
And so in the, at the AFLC annual conference then, that, that first round of balloting is really a nominating ballot. And attendees then place the name of any pastor they wish on the ballot. And this results in maybe 50 names being put up on the screen, after which uh, they then have opportunity to take their name off if they feel they should for whatever reason. After that, then there's a second round um, put on the screen, and uh, maybe it's down to 20 names. And then there's voting again that takes place, and, and you need at least 10% um, of the votes or else your name is dropped at that point. And, and this voting takes place and, until there's a simple majority that produces a winner. And, and so in a year, then, when a, when a president's being elected, um, there end up being a, a few pastors who go to annual conference having ha had to sort out beforehand, what will they do if their name is up there on the screen? Um, do they leave it up there or not? Now, I have never understood why anybody would really want to be president of anything. But in the past uh, year, I've had a few people, uh, uh, actually a disturbing amount, at, at different times approach me uh, uh, about being willing to leave my name up there if nominated. And, and likely there are several other pastors that had similar experiences that. And, you know, my first reaction to that, those suggestions was pretty similar to years ago when the Lord started prompting me to be a pastor. I, I heard myself making the same excuses and, and a few additional ones, and, and my wife heard me say some of them. And, and eventually, though, after working that through and talking to the Lord about it, with great awareness of my own limited abilities, but with reminders of God's complete adequacy, I, I went to that conference without a piece about taking my name off, and, and instead, with a simple prayer on my heart, Lord, my life's not my own. Whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do. Well, my name did end up there with the 50, and I did leave it up there with the 20 or so. And as the procedure worked itself through, three names were left on the ballot. Pastor Micah Germstead, who celebrated his 40th birthday at the annual conference, and then two well-known older AFLC leaders, that are, I think they're both around 70 years old. And Micah was elected. And I was mostly relieved. <laughs> but also, I would have to say concerned for him. Um, as he was recently married for the first time. And he and his wife are expecting their first child. And he is now feeling very keenly his inadequacy for such a task, and reminding himself of the adequacy of the Lord. And we need to be in prayer for him and Brittany in the weeks ahead. What about you? What is God calling you to do? Maybe you say to yourself, you know, I, I'm just not an upfront type of person. Well, I want to tell you this. First of all, don't assume that God can't change that. Remember Gideon and Moses, and Jeremiah, and me, and some others. But then again, it might be that God's not calling you to be one that speaks in front of a lot of people. Maybe it's to lead in some other way, in your own peer group, or your family, or your church, or your workplace. Maybe it's uh, in some rather ordinary thing in your day-to-day -day life, or, or maybe it's something that's going to change your life significantly in the future. Maybe it's a rather public role, or maybe it's something behind the scenes that you don't even think of as leading. Whatever it is, 
Remember, God is not looking for people who feel qualified to lead, but ones who are quite aware of their own inadequacy, so they will experience his sufficiency. He's looking for willing hearts. When I was away at a retreat in Wisconsin last month, there were a couple of things that were impressed on my heart, and one of them came out of a book called The Flourishing Pastor, and he said this, Do not seek a more public role. And if you end up there, make sure that it's God that's placing you there and not yourself. Good advice, I think. Relating to that, Leroy Iams stressed this. Don't say, well, I have no opportunity to be used by the Lord. Start by just being willing to serve. And he told a story of how one time he was speaking at a large men's gathering, and after it was all over, various men stepped up to clean up and put the chairs and tables back in place and so on, and he noticed one man who actually went and hid himself behind the drapes during that time. And he says this, remember there is always room for one more servant. And so be willing to serve wherever God calls you to. And I close with the words of a song by the Gamble folk. Uh, we used to sing this song at Bible College. Maybe some of you remember it. Dear Jesus, thou art everything to me, and everything I own I give to thee. My wealth, my all, but most of all, dear Lord, I give myself to thee. Dear Jesus, thou hast bled and died for me. You washed away my sins on Calvary. You cleansed my soul. You made me whole. Dear Lord, I give myself to thee. Dear Jesus, I'll do anything you ask. It matters not how big or small the task. Your will, not mine, for I am thine. Dear Lord, I give myself to thee. Let us pray. Lord, may that be our prayer. You know each one of us. You created us. You, you formed us in the womb. You had plans for each of our lives before we were born. And we thank you, Lord, for, for that encouragement, that reminder. And, and so, Lord, you know the various things that we're dealing with in our lives and, and the times we are asked to do things that uh, we don't feel very qualified to do. Times we think that maybe you're prompting us to do something we don't really even want to do. Lord, we pray that, that you would help us, that, that we would recognize that that feeling of inadequacy is normal. It, it, it's good because it's true, but you are sufficient to, to help us, to empower us, to equip us, to whatever you call us to do. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use us for your glory. Help us to see opportunities to serve wherever that would be and to step in and serve um, out of desire to return to you uh, some of the great blessing that you have given to us. And, Lord, that we would, as a result, be part of offering hope to those in this world who are without hope. And so, Lord, we pray for your blessing on our congregation this summer as we seek to minister in various ways. We think of the opportunities our youth have this summer, and we pray for Pastor Ryan as he leads some of those things. Lord, we pray for Vacation Bible School and other things, Lord, too. And we pray that you would raise up the leaders to meet those needs, and pray for our election of those to the Board of Ed this day as well. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us as leaders to be the leaders you meant us to be. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.